This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next, it's Liberty Now On Air, discussions from a libertarian perspective. And welcome to episode number five of Liberty Now. I'm your host, John Bird. Thank you for stopping by. This is the show where we believe in common sense. We seek the truth and can think for ourselves. I'll be here every Saturday at 10 p.m. to chat with you about stuff that matters to you and me and everyone we know. We'll be following the stories behind the headlines, asking questions, and talking to people who are taking action. Today, we're interviewing someone who has been working very hard to raise awareness about organ transplant abuse. She'll be telling us about her work with the ETAC. Here's a clip. Drew David, David Kilgore and David Matus, human rights lawyer and an ex-Asian Pacific MP, Canadian MP, conducted an independent investigation. And I can quote them, the conclusion was that there was a source of 41,500 transplants in the years from 2000 to 2005 that were unexplained. And so they believe, it concluded that they believe that there's a massive organ transplant abuse going on. That was Margot McVicker, current manager of the project to end transplant abuse in China. If you're just tuning in, this is John Bird on Liberty Now On Air, a weekly broadcast slash podcast on 96.9 Plains FM. You can also subscribe to the podcast in iTunes at Liberty Now On Air. To get the links, files, and show notes for this episode, head over to LibertyNow.com. Okay, let's get right into the interview. Marco, welcome. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So um, I appreciate that you're taking the time to chat today. You know, uh, I was talking to my brother the other day about, you know, how, how difficult it is to look into some of these issues. You know, the more you dig into it, it almost becomes hard to believe the depths of, of depravity and corruption and how bad the uh, human rights violations are. And... Um, it can bring you down, you know, and I, I was thinking of this Bible verse. I was talking to my brother about it, something about with wisdom or knowledge comes sorrow. I've looked it up and I found the quote. It was Ecclesiastes 1, verse 18. So I set my mind to know wisdom and madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And as knowledge grows, grief increases. I don't know if you found that to be true, Margo, but I guess that's sort of what motivates us to try to do something about it. Absolutely. It's one of these things that once you start on the path and investigating this, as as you've said, you can't really stop. It's opening the can of worms and there's just so much uh, related to the human rights abuses, especially in China. Yeah. Um, 
um, that you can go in all kinds of directions. So it's really important to be able to stay focused on one particular direction to to uh, have the most impact. Yeah, and to bring our listeners up to speed, we're talking about organ transplant abuse specifically and the ETAC. Uh, Margo, what does ETAC stand for? It's in transplant abuse in China. Okay. Um, it's a body of, of international lawyers, academic ethicists, medical professionals, researchers, and human rights advocates that are dedicated to stop this abuse in China. And how long have you been involved? Well, I've been involved with human rights for 20-odd years, but for this particular project, um, I've been involved since 2015 when I was asked to be the you see the manager for the, the newly formed organization, ETAC. Um, so I, of course, accepted and found it a very good platform to work with. Yeah. What is ETAC's most important focus? Is it about public awareness or political action? or? The main thing is disseminating information to the general public because, okay. surprising as it might sound, a lot of people do not know what's happening in China with the, with the human rights abuses, even although it's, we do publish it in many places. Unfortunately, the media in New Zealand uh, don't often cover this. There's a couple of journalists that, that have had a few articles, but that's about the extent of it. So the general public generally don't get to know about what's going on. Yes, and as I'm finding, the more I dig into some of these subjects, I don't think it's accidental. It seems like some of these things aren't being covered by the main news channels and, and social media deliberately, it would seem. You recently went to uh, an address on human rights in China, focusing on three main areas of focus. Maybe you could elaborate on these. One was about China's attempt to quarantine the truth, like we were just talking about, and increasing threats against the media and journalists, China's political prisoners and mistreatment of minorities, and identifying ways to hold the Chinese government accountable for the pandemic and human rights abuses. So can you tell us a little bit more about the first part of the event, China's attempt to quarantine the truth and the increasing threats against the media and journalists? From what I know, I can, I'm really in steeped in the in the ETAC project, so there's not too much I can say outside in that parameter. But uh -huh. I can say that that the media definitely, um, most cases when we've been doing things, uh, whatever it is, whether it's presentations at, at the universities or film screenings or things like that 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 we do to get this this uh, information out to the public. Um, there's often the Chinese embassy will contact the venue and to try to get them not to not to either screen the film or to hold the presentation, etc. Um, often there's uh, this um, harassment related to saying, you know, that it's all lies and and we shouldn't be telling lies. We should we, we should talk about the truth. That's happening in China, and they deny that any of this is this happening. So it's that kind of thing that just goes on constantly. The other important thing is when we we know that MPs and councillors are contacted as well and asked not to attend these things or not to take any heed of there, of this. 
vaccination. So politicians are being proactively contacted and uh, ordered not to attend these meetings or, the or past, warned against in, them in or the how? Yeah, in the past, we, we have been given information um, that this is indeed the case where they contact them and they say if it's about the persecution in China, the organ abuse, the persecution in China, um, that they shouldn't um, attend these events or, or things like that. And who is, so, who is the they? Who are the MPs being contacted by? Oh, they're by contact by the embassy, the Chinese embassy. The Chinese embassy aren't yes. isn't that supposed to be a neutral body uh, or uh, like a yes. well, well, you, you would hope so. not uh, when we're talking about China. Yeah, um, and they they have that band of soldiers that they basically, if anyone's doing anything that's not going to, that's going to make China look bad, um, then they will send out their people. Uh, use all the resources to try and, and stop that information getting out. Yeah, Because think... often, I suppose you know, but in China, the, the biggest thing for the regime, communist regime, is to save face. Uh, right. So they don't want that um, information to get out to the public. So they, they do all kinds of things. They use students at the universities that, or people who have family back in China um, and threaten them, and they get them to to do the work for them. And in some cases, we've known that they've paid uh, for these people to disrupt events. Yeah, I think most people are not so naive as to think there isn't some abuse of these ambassadorships, but it seems to have changed roles. It, it's much more a uh, propagandist channel. It's not just about being goodwill ambassadors anymore. It's about making sure that the right message gets through and that nothing contrary to that is heard. Before we get too far ahead, the whole attempt to stifle the truth about this, for people who are not familiar, can you be uh, a little more specific about like what is the ETAC trying to stop? What's actually happening that needs to end, in your opinion? Okay, well, if you don't mind, can I just give you a little bit of history to lead up to that? Is that all right? Sure, yep. So basically, the CCP is a Marxist atheist regime, and so anything that's spiritual or or spiritual-leaning or religious, they try and squash it. And in recent times, the two main groups that are in that category, first of all, Falun Gong in China, uh, they were in that category. It started in 1990, and it, it took off because people realized that they had huge benefits from health benefits and spiritual benefits from the practice. So very quickly, they had more people practicing Hong Kong than they did uh, Communist Party members. So all of a sudden, they um, became scared and thought, oh, Falun Gong are going to take over China and, and the spiritual group. So, so the government um, saw them as a, they, as a threat. They, clamped, they saw them as a threat and they clamped down on them. They outlawed them. They announced them a cult. And of course, don't forget, prior to that, they were very, very popular. A lot of government members practiced, defend the benefits of it. So it was outlawed um, overnight. What and year was this they, that it was outlawed? Uh, 1999. 99. Now, I understand yeah. that, of course, anybody that doesn't uh, toe the state line or the communist regime's narrative uh, is in danger of, you know, not only uh, imprisonment, but probably losing their lives. And uh, there are other 
groups, and I've heard that the Muslim Uyghurs there are yeah. well. I mean, are they are they really a political threat, or what's what's happening with them? They're they're similar. They're they're a huge threat to them. There's a massive number of them that they need to control. They started with banning the practice for Falun Gong, and then they went from persecuting them to murdering them for their organs. And so it seems they had that in mind from the very beginning. And I'm I'm not clear at that point. That's what's happened. And now that they've moved on to the Uyghurs, they've seen them as possibly as a huge bank, data bank that can have for organs. And because they can do that, they can do that. They can just indiscriminately erase them, put them into concentration camps test them all and blood test them all and then they have this massive data bank of organs that they can right they can send to the world. So if we're backing away a little bit and looking there's uh, an increasing demand for organ transplants in countries all over the world I suppose as medical technology improves one of those key things is getting as near fresh organs as possible sometimes these organs can be hard to uh, come by trying to find the right blood type and it seems as though China has sort of found a market. If you're just tuning in, this is John Bird on Liberty Now On Air, a weekly broadcast slash podcast on 96.9 Plains FM. You can also subscribe to the podcast in iTunes at Liberty Now On Air. To get the links, files, and show notes for this episode, head over to libertynow.com. We'll return now to the interview with Margot McVicker. And it seems as though China has sort of found a market uh, and, and a source for organs to supply to Western nations. And so we have this phenomenon of uh, medical tourism. How does that work? Basically, you can call up China now. When, when you finish this call, you can call up China and you can order any organ or a number of organs, and you can have them within a short space of time, let's say a week. So we don't have to wait for somebody to uh, have had a a fatal accident or something? Absolutely. That's what happens in the West, and that's why in New Zealand all around the world there's a huge shortage of organs. And now that they've got this huge data bank, um, you can call up and you can get an organ at any time. So basically they're, they're murdering to order. So they've got to do all the tests, so they've got them ready there. So you go and you ask for a heart, and they look down their list, and they see who has got a match. They, they, they say, yes, come to China, and then they check the database and see who matches with you, and they are the person gets killed, and you get the organ. So walk us through like the experience of it, like an individual, somebody that the Chinese government labels as a, a dissident or they see as a threat to the government. So... Somebody gets, uh, what, snatched by the, the police, and what happens to that person? It, it happens in various ways. We, we know that they, they've got, uh, they, they spend billions of dollars on surveillance, so they track these people, whether they're, they're Uyghurs, Tibetans, uh, Christians, Falun Gong people. They track them, and they basically hunt them down, and they break into their houses, they find out where they're living, they find out their, their workplace, in any way, shape and form. They, and they hunt them down and illegally arrest them 
they're called into concentration camps. Often the, the families don't even know where they are. Um, quite often they don't give their correct name because they don't want to implicate their families. So quite often it's difficult to track where they are as well. But, right. but normally they can be taken from anywhere. So being that it's difficult to track for the people who might think, well, this is being exaggerated or it doesn't happen very often, you know, what sort of evidence or proof has your organization unearthed and how extensive oh, the, is this problem? There's massive evidence, there's massive evidence. In 2006, two David, David Kilgore and David Matus, human rights lawyer and an ex-Asian Pacific MP, Canadian MP, conducted an independent investigation. And I can quote them, the, the conclusion was that there was a source of 41,500 transplants in the years from 2000 to 2005 that were unexplained. And so they believe, it concluded that they believe that there's a massive organ transplant abuse going on. 41,000. Do we have any numbers to sort of compare those statistics to, say, of how many organ transplant uh, donors uh, we, we might have seen in, say, New Zealand or the United States? Um, I don't actually have the figures for New Zealand or the United States, but I do have in China, where prior to that, liver surgeon had said that they do, on average, maybe seven liver transplants a year from seven, and all of a sudden, you must note here that after the Falun Gong were declared occult and dangerous, in 1999, then the figures zoomed up of, of organ transplants in, in 2000, and from there on, the figures have been constantly rising. So this organ transplant abuse is state-sanctioned. It's through the military. It's in military hospitals. The police are in on it, um, things like that. So I think it's important to emphasize, again, for people who aren't familiar with this topic, that these transplants are not voluntary. Yeah, they're, as I said, they're murdered to, to order, basically. Someone wants a heart, so someone gets killed. Right. And I've heard, can you verify, that there are ambulances where somebody who is, is taken and they're operated on on the way to the airport? Yes, that's been documented where they have these big white vans and they do the operations in that van. In fact, one of the documentaries that we have screened throughout New Zealand we had one doctor that actually performed one of these operations many, many years ago before he realized what's going on. And he wow. was taken to the call um, over there, what they call the killing grounds. To uh, He wasn't told what he was going to do, but he was asked to come along and bring his surgical team with him, which he did. And he arrived there and he heard the shot. Someone got shot. And, and then he was asked to remove the organs as quickly as possible. And then he was told to go back home and, and not to see anything better. So that was many years ago. So, yes, that does happen. That's just beyond belief. So yeah. what are you doing right now to try to stop this outright murder? Well, we're doing a number of things. But before that, John, can I just go on? You asked me earlier about... Uh, what um, evidence we had, and, yes. and and just mentioned the 2006 report. Yes. Since then, there was an updated um, 2016 report by David Matus, David Kilgore, and then 
Ethan Kirkman, who's a Chinese analyst and human rights investigator, they did an, an updated report and they said that, yes, it showed that the regime was performing 60,000 to 100,000 transplants per year as opposed to 10,000 per year that the Chinese had claimed. This is in 2016. Wow. Um, so they were looking at 60, and it could be much more than that, 60 to 100,000 that were performing per year. And, of course, the big question is, where do these organs come from? Because, you know, they didn't have a donation system in China. I think it was 2010. But by the information that we've got, there's not very many donors because in, in Chinese culture, they believe that the body should remain intact. So right. you don't have a huge number of Chinese people willingly giving their organs, as donating their organs, basically. So the question is, where are all these 60,000, 100,000 or more organs coming from? Right. It is contrary to the very culture itself. Following on from that, uh, in 2018, Sir Jeffrey Nice had the Chinese Tribunal. I don't know if you've heard about that, but basically they concluded this abuse was going on, had been going on for many years and continues to this day. And he also mentioned that the Uyghurs, uh, they, they didn't have the proof of that, but the Uyghurs were, were definitely being targeted as well in recent years. Yeah. So it's been proven by the tribunal is definitely going on. But I think the best thing is to go to endtransplantabuse.org okay. and they will, you'll find videos, you'll find presentations, you'll find a whole slew of really important information on there. Okay, so people who would like to learn more, go to endtransplantabuse.org. That's it. Would you like for people to be able to contact you with questions? Absolutely, with any questions. And okay. also, the other thing is, if people can uh, support in any way, I've got a list here of things we're working on and things that people can support. Okay, yeah. So first, um, how can people get in touch with you? It's margo, M-A-R-G-O dot MacVicar, M-A-C-V-I-C-A-R, at intransplantabuse.org. And you said you're working on some other things now, um, how people can help you. What can they do to support? Well, at the moment, we're working and we've actually got Louisa Hall, the, um, the MP, who is drafting a private member's bill at the moment. Um, so when that comes to a certain point, it would be good if we had uh, people request that organizations uh, write a submission to support this private bill. That okay. would be a major thing. So we have an the MP other... in New Zealand who's actually working on a bill. Yes. What, yes. what is the language? What is the overall? How does the bill propose to uh, end the abuse? What are they specifically trying to do? There's a number of things that we've requested, but... Um, we basically want the New Zealand government to stand it up and condemn this practice. That's the number one thing, because that can make a huge difference to everything else. And also to notify the public that it's advised for them not to go to China to obtain an organ that is unethically sourced. 
because we're not talking about people going overseas to get an organ. If they need an organ, they're going to die without that organ. We're talking about for people not to go to China and get an organ, but people have been murdered for that organ. Right. And I think if about it, most people wouldn't want an organ if they knew that people were being murdered. I think most people would be against that. Yeah. So I... basically, that's two of the main things that Louis says looking at. So yes, if they can uh, request organisations to support with submissions when it comes to that point. The other thing is organised funding, because at this stage we're NGO non-government organisations, so if there's anyone out there that can support us with funding, most of this is privately funding that um, going around asking people if they can support it, but now it's got to the point where it needs a little bit more funding than um, the main people like myself have available. And the other skill is uh, social media, how to better outreach to let people know about it. At the moment, we're doing documentaries. There's one on in Wellington uh, this Thursday about it. And uh, we've been going through throughout New Zealand uh, screening these documentaries, and we'll continue to do that. Has ETAC yeah. put together any um, like 30-second advertisements or things that people could uh, share around on their social media? I can look at that, and if people get in touch with me, then I can give them whatever information, if they've got the skill or the, the followers uh, to be able to do that. Yes, so the other thing is contacting people with a voice in the community, like in doctors, medical institutions, educational institutions, law firms, things like that, and just to let them know what's going on. And and also, which is a really big area, people are doing business with China. It's really important that these people know that they could be complicit in this murdering and this organ, organ abuse that's happening. For instance, if a New Zealand company is selling medical equipment to the Chinese regime and they're using that medical equipment to murder these people and to remove the organs, then, you you know, they're complicit in the crime. Right. Okay, that's a very good point. Aware of of that. Um, So that's um, contacting a lot of people. That's a few of the things that they can support with. So if they have direct contact with me, we can discuss that further. They can support on a local level or a global level. Okay, that's excellent. Thank you very much to Margot McVicker. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Liberty Now On Air. And remember, if you care about liberty as much as I do, and especially if you care about human rights, please go over to libertynow.com, see what you can do to help out. And until next time, be good and keep asking questions.